0: listening to Manufactured with Kim van der Weert and
1: Jesse Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is part two of our conversation with Matthijs Kritté, Secretary General at the International Apparel Federation, or the IAF. We can hardly believe it, but this is the last episode of Season 3. It's been a hectic six months, and we're going to be taking a little time off. But fear not, Manufactured will be back sometime this autumn. Follow us on Instagram or sign up to the newsletter via our website for updates about exactly when that will be. In Part 1 of our
0: conversation, Matai gave us a status update on the IAF's recent initiative on purchasing practices. The initiative is a joint effort with the Star Network and supported by JZ Fabric. You might remember that in episodes 29 and 30, we chatted to Miran
1: spokesperson of the Star Network, about this initiative as well. So, have suppliers come to an agreement about what's most important to them when it comes to purchasing practices? And what's next? What's commercial compliance, and how does Matthijs envision that these standards might be implemented? Be sure to go back and listen to part one to find out. In part two of our conversation, Matai offers some concrete examples of
0: partnership models and how digitalization can help reshape business processes, and by extension, supply chain relationships. He also shares his thoughts on why manufacturers have been by and large left out of sustainable fashion conversations, and the impact that this has on the supply chain as a whole.
1: Our episodes this week are thanks to our collaboration with GIZ Fabric. The Fabric project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. Maddais moderated the ninth edition of GIZ Fabrics online seminar series called Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry. The seminar series is free and available online, and we highly recommend checking it out.
0: If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us
1: grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series, Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry, check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. But Dice, we left off at the end of part one of this conversation, talking about your belief in collaboration, in shared risk. And I wonder if you could give an example that really illustrates why you believe this so strongly.
2: Alrighty. 2012 uh, uh, we had dr harry lee who is then the ceo of tal uh, mm-hmm. from uh, from hong kong um, and they were saying look it's it's not that difficult we have a big uh, u.s uh, client um, we both invest in this flexibility together and we create a system where you know with uh investments in in gray fabrics and in and, and and capacity of 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 of, of dyeing capacity we we both uh in, invest in that well if it doesn't work out in the end and um they, they could easily measure uh by looking at, okay, what was the margin after a year on these products, right? Not not mm. in, the, in the beginning when it was going into store, but after a year and finding out that you had to um, write off a lot less, you had to uh, give a lot of uh, less discounts. The margin, if you played the flexibility game right, the margin was higher, right? Because you were able to deliver more of the right product at the right time. Um, uh so if it failed tl and 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 this particular customer would both uh, lose money but if uh, it was a success then uh, the the arrangement was that tl would um get a percentage of that additional uh, margin, margin that was uh, that was being made right so so that that always uh struck me and i can say it now because it's 2012 right and and, and i'm mm. sure these kind of arrangements are nothing uh, unusual or or new but you know it's 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 it's, it's really the, the core of of what this collaboration uh, means the result was better uh in the end uh for for the supplier uh and for the brand, right um, and there was an incentive for t l to really invest uh, in, in, in in this kind of flexibility uh, the 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 customer would never have gotten uh, this good a result without the full uh, cooperation and an investment and, and entrepreneurial risk taking uh, of, uh, of 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 the supplier, and they could do that because there, there was the um possibility of uh sharing in the in the reward as well
1: yeah and i think you i want to emphasize a point about what you just said which i think is really important and often missed in the sense that like you know when we talk about flexibility we have to be we can't just look at like a couple of parts of the supply chain you have to look at the whole supply chain because when you for instance like I mean, sometimes you see people saying, oh, we're doing our cutting and sewing, you know, in Europe or in the United States, close to the end consumer. So our lead time is shorter. So we can deliver exactly what the market demands and there's no waste. And I'm always sort of skeptical of these arguments because it's like, sure, maybe the cut and sew is being done at the last minute. But instead of the inventory sitting with the cut and sew factory, it's now sitting with the fabric mill who's still in China. And um, and so like, I, I think, um, uh, I really appreciate, I mean, when you, when you, when you're talking about the sharing of risk between in this case, TAL and a particular brand that they were working for and also sharing of profit, like, you know, that it requires really like all the, and like you said, when it's, when we're talking about systemic problems, we have to have all these different parts moving in the same direction or else it just kind of falls flat and if you have even just one piece of the puzzle that isn't then it doesn't doesn't work
2: (laughs) yeah and 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 that's the sort of the choke point like in the Suez Canal right it can uh, (laughs) everything can go smoothly and if one part is stuck then everything is stuck and uh, so you have to look at it holistically Um, yeah what what I love about uh, uh, the digitization uh, there we we say uh, it's not only an enabler, uh, for more, more smooth processes, but also in a way, uh, an enforcer, uh, because it only really works if you, uh, change your processes and, uh, pr- change your processes in such mm-hmm. a way that they are more collaborative. And, and I really think that the best, um, you know, the, the, what, the the best outcome, or what we should be aiming at as an as an industry, is sort of these um, teams working on product development, uh, containing uh, people from different parts of the supply chain. So you have your design people, you have your product development people, you have people from the manufacturer, you have people from the f- from the fabric supplier, and they just get together in the beginning um uh, and that at that point you can factor in uh, the knowledge that you need uh to design a, a a product that is not only commercially viable uh but also technically um viable uh, that also is uh, uh recyclable um, but you need all of that knowledge uh together right and then and then you design it and then you can also sort of, factor in uh the logistics uh component of it because you are acting at that moment as one unit um and and uh, you'll know what 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 to expect so it's not one party waiting for the other until uh, an order comes or doesn't uh, does it come it's it's a truly collaborative process and you can only do that i think with mo- you know with the modern technology where you de- where you can design and and develop garments uh, totally digitally.
1: Jesse, as someone who has spent many years in product development, both on the brand side and the factory side, what's your thought when you hear this? So that
0: means the brand or the buyers need to open up some uh, decision making process on different levels at different degrees. And decision making is, is a big thing for brands. But on this point, they have to open up some processes, inviting different people to come in. Sometimes maybe even not the cut and the sew team, but also cut and the sew suppliers, you know, because some ideas looks perfect on computer screens and on paper, but only people who make that fabric or make that workmanship would understand how much it will cost or how difficult it is or if it's, if it's good enough. So that it's a very nice picture. But as you said, chicken and egg. Which one is first? So who, who moves first? I think the brands really needs to move a little bit first to open some decision-making process. And of course, then there is a big risk also on the factory side because then the factory needs to open up the planning and uh, the planning and the schedule. Open this information to the brands to know we are not available actually next month, but maybe there is a small window in the coming, I don't know, three <laughs> weeks or, or, or six weeks or something. And this is also very critical to the factories because maybe the brands really want this product. So they might switch the orders to someone else who is available once the development is done. So by hearing all oh, this idea, I feel it really like who moves first and it, it requires a lot of trust, lots of collaboration, as you said. Really, both sides needs to input lots of trust.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess trust is is uh, a red thread running through uh, running through all of this. Um, um, but it also has to do with uh, just going ahead and trying it, right? Because if it if it gets the right results, um, then the results speak for themselves. <laughs> um, but also, the results have to be measured, and that is something that sometimes the industry is forgetting uh, to do, or they're 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 not connecting the end result to everything that came uh, that came uh, before it it's just looking at a product and can we source this for this price so that we can put it in the store for for this price and it can't be anything more yeah that's all well and nice but after after a year what will have happened to this uh, product so also part of it um is uh, you know trusting in the results of the collaboration um but then, how do you do this? Because it's like you're running a, a three star restaurant, um, and you have to change from uh, traditional cooking to molecular cooking, <laughs> while you are still trying to okay. be a three star restaurant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty tough. Uh, so we 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 I, I like some examples where uh, I know one very large brand's uh, brand which uh, has sort of externalized its. Uh, digital uh, development operations in, 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 into a separate company in um, so they say okay we, we really have to develop this but we recognize that within our traditional structure uh, of, a, of a large brand we probably can't get the right result uh, we probably need to have like a startup that develops uh, this new way of thinking so let's um, invest in a startup. <laughs> uh, and then this startup can, of course, uh, provide us, you know, with with knowledge and uh, services, but also other uh, parts of the industry. And, and I really like what they, what they are doing, because when I asked the, the uh, general manager uh, of the startup, so what would you like from IAF? What can we do? He said, the connections with the manufacturers. He said, "That's really, you know, that's that's the cutting edge now uh, for us. We we are developing new processes um, that uh, our our sort of mother company uh, can and 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 should be incorporating. Um, but we want to do that together with with the manufacturers because that's where we are going to be able to uh, to to make the difference in uh, in many ways. And and you go from the sort of um phase one flexibility you know which is saying okay i'm just going to move the risk down the supply chain and let somebody else pick up the bill and <laughs> figure out you know uh, uh, that's that's you know that's a tried and true way of being flexible you don't own very much of production capacity that you have to fill <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um or any of it <laughs> or any of it um 2.0 or 3.0 uh, in that is uh, figuring out what kind of processes uh, can actually yield uh, a better result overall, and that's uh, but it's very tough. That's the, the the toughest thing to do, um, and yet that's the way forward, right?
1: Well, and it's like you said, Jesse. I think it's like chicken and egg because in in theory, shared I, I would think shared risk would lead. To higher margins, but you need trust to be able to get to a place of shared risk. And who moves first, and which comes first—is it the shared financial risk that comes first, or is it the trust that comes first? You know, one of the undercurrents of the conversation we've had so far is like when we okay, we're talking now a lot about sort of inside the industry, the relationship between manufacturers and uh, brands. But if you sort of zoom out. Mm -hmm. And you like look at, you know, how the media talks about the fashion industry or even how different activists groups talk about the problems in the fashion industry. We often hear about brands and we hear about workers or unions and you don't hear so much about the manufacturers, the actual employers of These workers. And I think one of the things that strikes me about the conversation we've had so far is I mean, everything we've been talking about in terms of like what manufacturers might need in terms of purchasing practices or what their red lines might be or how you generate this trust between brand and manufacturer, all of that has very direct implications on workers, on people who are on the production floor. And so I'm curious, why do you think it is? That so often we hear about brands in in, in the public in, in sort of common more common media narratives about workers and unions and brands, but the manufacturers are sort of missing from the picture.
2: Um, well, I think one reason is a very practical one, right? Um, there, there, there simply is less capacity with the manufacturers uh, to engage in in these kind of conversations networks and uh, and everything um and and the reason for uh, that is that because you know they need all the capacity (laughs) uh to to remain uh, afloat in uh, in this uh, in this tough system um so if you look at large brands and retailers they, they have big departments sometimes um that are that are dealing with Things like industrial relations, so they have people that are very qualified that know a lot about that and that are able to participate in these international uh, fora that 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 are there um, uh, unions to a lesser extent uh, also have that and if I look at the country uh, where i'm from um, you know there's there, there there's not much government support going to uh, industry as- associations uh, but there is quite a lot going to uh stakeholder initiatives uh unions uh because that is um and you know, f- I I guess partly for good reason right um but that has sort of uh skipped over <laughs> uh the 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 sort of representation of uh, manufacturers S- simply they, they they haven't gotten around to it yet uh, and mm-hmm. that is one of the things that that uh, that IF is obviously and that's our role. That's what we try to do. We have even in our 2021 priority issues, we have uh, a global institutional framework for the industry uh, as one of our uh, priorities. So we say this framework um, it's uh, it's incomplete. Um, if we look at the uh, accord, for instance, <coughs> um, I remember when the discussions were there it was the it was the unions um it was the, the large brands and, and, and retailers. And we said, well, because this is also having implications outside of uh, Bangladesh uh, at some point, wouldn't it be good for the IF to be around the table? That was not a good, uh, they, they, the, the parties at that time didn't think that was a good idea.
1: Oh, this is so interesting to hear you say that, because Jesse and I actually have recorded conversations about the Bangladesh Accord with different manufacturers, which we have never released, precisely because, like when Jesse and I were were when we had these conversations, this is what the conversation was. Like it's a it's a legally binding agreement between brands and workers, but workers are employed by a third party who are missing from the picture. But the Bangladesh Accord is so often heralded as a such a milestone because it's the first time that these you know, things were legally accountable, et cetera, et cetera, that we've sort of struggled to know how to put this out there without basically being eviscerated. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: um, but I think you're right. I, I also have to say that mindset is changing, right, mm-hmm. and 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 has changed. So this is already quite a while ago. Um, and now I think IF, we are uh, in, in uh, the international working group of – the uh, call to action, which is an ILO mm-hmm. initiative, representing manufacturers, um, uh, because we think it's important, but also precisely to make the point that we're <laughs> that we're making now, right? That this representation needs to be there. I mean, a lot of work needs to be done, also within IAF, right, to get our manufacturers committee. Uh, working together with the star network i mean this is this is work in 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 uh in progress definitely um this is the discussions that we are having with an organization like the i l o uh where we're saying, look, if you want to have a bigger role of manufacturers in industrial relations in the different countries around the table, which we think is very important, uh then we need to think about capacity building and helping these associations um to be to be you know the right negotiating partners to understand all of this hugely complex framework that is being developed in these uh, different places what are these due diligence what is the due diligence guidance right and 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 rightly some people are saying this is not just something that is going to be important for brands and retailers to fully understand how to deal with the un guiding principles and uh, due diligence guidance, but also obviously for the for the manufacturers, they have some work to do there. Um, but we, as a whole industry, have some work to do, realizing that there is a gap, that there is a um, a lag, uh, that that there's some catching up to do, uh, and 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 some support to uh, to give. So we we're, we're pretty passionate <laughs> at at IF I about this point uh that that also on 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 the global level where where brands and uh, msis and and unions but also the employers the manufacturers should be at an equal level uh, around the table discussing you know what what the industry needs to look like to get a better result to survive in the market uh to uh To have that responsiveness to consumer needs to compete with new uh business concepts that are uh, that are coming up um, this collaboration with manufacturers uh is just becoming more important there's more economic ratio also uh to to get that collaboration going um and uh to you know to just get better results and and that's a fortunate i think convergence of uh the the human rights uh and environmental concerns that that we have and and the raw economic uh reality that is uh, that is hitting but we have to connect those lines and that is not often enough happening and and that's why like really what you're doing from a you're you're talking about this from a manufacturer point of view but also from an economic uh, manufacturer point of view, understanding you know how a manufacturer's business is being being run, because if you take the business elements all too much out of the discussion, and uh, uh, it is it is not grounded in um, it is not grounded enough in 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 the pure economic reality of, the, of of the business that we are in. We're 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 in the business, um, and 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 the threats have to be connected; otherwise, it's not going to work.
1: Yeah. And that's something I've like written about as well. One of my biggest frustrations with conversations about like how to ensure that garment factory workers earn a decent living and stuff. It just feels like a lot of the people who are at the table in that conversation. And I don't think it's intentional or malicious or anything like that, but just don't seem to understand what drives a factory's costs.
2: Exactly. (laughs) If you, if you don't, if you don't work on the economic foundations of this, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Right. (laughs) And, and,
1: And the scary part about that is, is that when that's missing, at least this has been my experience, it gets reduced to other narratives, which rely on other things like stereotypes about Race about the brown factory manager out to screw their workers, you know, or to cheat the system. And so, I think, like, that to me is also an undertone of so many of these conversations about how to ensure decent livelihoods. And when that sort of economic piece or this sort of basic understanding of what actually drives a factory's costs is missing, people fill in the blank, I think, with other stuff that. Maybe they don't even realize they're doing, but it's there, you know um. yeah
2: no I, think, <laughs> no I i I think you're right um and uh you know sometimes the people discussing this are really specialized in a in a in mm-hmm. a in a in a certain uh topic um, but well, that just creates a responsibility for. Uh, people leading these processes, uh, uh, leadership in, in companies and in organizations that do see the big picture uh, mm. to, to make the connections. Looking at things holistically, I think is, uh, is, is really important. Thank
1: you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories
0: and what you think. Collecting waste this is the most rewarding part of what we do. So
1: please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage.
0: Thanks for listening, and see you next week.